Hello, friends. I am Michael Woods, the chief scientist at the Asian Turfgrass Center. This is the ATC Double Cut. And in today's episode, I'm going to give a little bit of a case study, a case study about soil testing and about the pH in a um, in a test result that one of ATC's clients had recently. And this post, which I will share now, it is titled, One Reason Why I Recommend Annual Soil Testing of Sand Root Zones. If you're watching this, then you'll be able to see the chart. If you are listening to this, I recommend checking out the post, which you can get a direct link to in the show notes. And you can see this chart that I'm showing, which shows soil pH over time. And the the post is titled, One Reason Why I Recommend Annual Soil Testing of Sand Root Zones. And I'll jump to the chart and describe what we're seeing here. The chart is titled, Soil pH in 1 to 1 H2O, or soil pH measured in water, which is the standard way for soil pH to be measured at laboratories in the United States. And these test results are from Brookside Labs, where ATC does almost all of our soil testing. And this client had submitted samples in July of 2018. Then they submitted samples that they'd collected again in August of 2019. So that's on an approximately annual schedule. Those were just 13 months apart. But then they did not test in 2020, and they did not test in 2021, and they tested again with samples that were collected in September of 2022. So on this chart, it shows that back in 2018, the soil pH, and this is on a Bermuda grass tea, the soil pH on the Bermuda grass tea was 5.8, which is quite fine. That At that pH, you can get good nutrient availability. You can have good soil microbial activity. I'm not really concerned about a soil pH of 5.8. In 2019, a year later, the pH was up a little bit. That year, they submitted two samples from teas, and the average value, the medium value for the soil pH was 6, which is also an excellent value. At that soil pH level, you can expect to have almost no soluble aluminum in the soil. The, one of the big problems that you have with the soil pH less than 5.5 if the soil pH gets too low, you could have soluble aluminum, which is toxic to roots. So you could expect a root system that may be a bit shorter, uh, a root system that would be more limited in the volume of soil that it can explore. And consequently, a root system that doesn't function as well. So let's just say a limited root system. But they didn't have that problem in 2018. They didn't have that problem in 2019. Both in, in 2018 and in 2019, they had a pH of 5.8 and 6. But here's what can happen. And of course, this is um, perhaps exaggerated because of where this golf course is located. This golf course is located in a tropical location. It's near the equator. And because of that... 
the temperatures are warm, so the grass can grow 12 months out of the year. When the grass grows 12 months out of the year, the, it's typical to have slightly higher nitrogen rates. Nitrogen fertilizer is an inherently acidifying product to apply to the turf grass. And precipitation, and at this site, uh, it rains a lot also. It's in a tropical not in a tropical desert, but in, in a climate that would be like a tropical rainforest type of climate. So it rains a lot. And precipitation is also an inherently acidifying process. And remember, sand root zones tend not to be really well buffered against changes in pH. So in these samples that were tested in September, or the samples that were collected in September, of this year. And I just completed the report in October of this year. And I noted that the soil pH had gone down from 6 to 4.8 on these teas. Now at a soil pH of 4.8 for Bermuda grass on a tea, I would expect that growth is slightly restricted. I would expect that growth uh, of the grass is less vigorous than it would be if the soil pH were higher, were at 5.5 or above. I expect that there is quite a bit of soluble aluminum in and around the roots, well, around the roots in the soil solution when the pH is 4.8. And if the pH were just a little bit higher, the aluminum would not be soluble. And I also expect that soil microbial activity, and by this I'm often talking about thatch breakdown and mineralization of soil organic matter. Those are good things, good types of soil microbial activity that we want to have happen. We don't want it to be limited or restricted by having a soil pH that is too low. And we know that we won't have microbial activity limited if we can keep the pH at about 5.5 or above. So what's happened in the time between the samples taken three years ago in 2019, and so over the time period of 2019 up to 2020, 2020 up to 2021, and then up until now we're coming to the end of 2022, the soil has become acidified through a combination of precipitation and plant uptake and leaching and uh, nitrogen fertilizer applications, one presumes. And that happens, that can happen rapidly in a sand root zone. And I would recommend testing annually to make sure that this doesn't happen because now I've recommended a lime treatment, a liming material, which will increase the pH and buffer temporarily against further decreases in soil pH. But this could have been recommended sooner if the soil would have been tested on an annual basis, and there's no way that the soil would have gotten down to a pH below 5. There's no way that the soil pH would have gotten all the way down to 4.8. Because usually, if we're checking from... Uh, year to year, we will see, we will see trends, we will see changes 
but we can catch what those trends are and we can see that the pH is going up or we can see that the pH is going down. We can see that nutrient levels are going up or going down and we can make adjustments in the treatments. But if you skip three years of testing the soil on a sand root zone, things can change quite dramatically. And in this case, the soil pH is low enough at a pH of 4.8 that I expect that the turf quality is suffering a little bit and it it makes it more difficult to manage. Because on Bermuda grass teas, one often would want to stimulate growth a little bit to get divot recovery. Certainly on teas, one wants to make sure that the grass is responsive responsive to fertilizer applications so that if you need the grass to grow faster to recover from divots one needs to be able to have grass that can do that and one thing that you may see when the soil ph is too low is you would add fertilizer and the grass doesn't respond like you would expect it to because the root system could be having some of those limitations that i mentioned caused by the soluble aluminum you could have uh, less mineralization than you would expect. And uh, it's just not an ideal growing environment for the turf grass. So I recommend to summarize for sand root zones, I recommend testing once per year. And I often recommend testing in the autumn in locations where you have a growing season and it rains during the growing season. So somewhere like New York or Chicago or Minnesota or Toronto or St. Andrews in Scotland, in, in places where you have a growing season and then it kind of comes to an end in the autumn and, and you're not in a desert where you're only supplying irrigation water, but there is some rainfall during the summer during the active growing season, then what you'll tend to find is the nutrient levels will be the most depleted at the end of the growing season in the autumn. And that makes an ideal time to sample because not only are you capturing what your lowest nutrient levels are in the soil, but by testing in the autumn, it gives you the entire winter season when the grass won't be growing so rapidly to decide what products you'll apply and come up with a schedule for application of what and when to apply for the upcoming season. Now, if you're in a place like California where it doesn't rain so much during the summer and the uh, rainy season kind of goes from the autumn typically through the winter and into the spring, then it would make sense to do the testing at the start of the summer, at the end of the rainy season. So think about where you're located in the world and think about when the nutrient levels are likely to be the lowest at your site and when the salt content of the soils is likely to be the lowest. If you're in a place where there is a pronounced rainy season and then a pronounced dry season, it makes sense to me to do the primary sampling at the end of the pronounced rainy season. And if you're in a temperate North American climate in places where it rains a bit during the summer, then it makes sense for me to do it at the end of the growing season. So if you do that, 
year after year on sand root zones, you can detect these trends and you can um, make the treatments that are necessary in advance of the soil getting to a condition where you have to take action and think like, um, this treatment is actually going to cause an improvement to the turf. I never want to see deficiencies. I never want to see the soil pH get into a bad uh, zone where the the pH could be causing a problem. And I never want to see deficiencies that could be causing a problem. So by doing annual soil testing, you're able to make sure that that doesn't happen. And uh, I think that's most important for sand root zones. Now, um, I wrote in this post somewhere that... I, that uh, right in the first sentence, <laughs> no second sentence. In the second sentence, I said for turf growing in soil, I don't mind testing every two or three years, but sand root zones usually aren't very well buffered, and important soil properties can change rapidly. So, in in soil, and by soil I mean something that's more than just sand. It has some clay, it has some silt in it. That's what I call a soil. Golf course putting greens are rarely made out of soil these days. The sports fields that are used for professional events are rarely uh, made out of soil these days. Everything is generally a sand root zone um, in the modern era. And in these sand root zones, the soil chemical properties do have the chance of changing rapidly and they're going to change more rapidly the more nitrogen fertilizer you put and the more that it rains and the longer your growing season is so if you get into a location where you either are, are applying really high rates of fertilizer or you get to a situation where you're close to the equator you're in a tropical environment and you have a long growing season or you're in a place where it rains a lot it would be my advice to plan for soil testing on an annual basis to make sure that you're capturing what is changing in the root zone over time. On a soil, I think two or three years is usually good enough. And I generally tell people don't bother testing too often because we're not going to really be making any decisions based on those results. We want to wait until something might have changed a little bit. So that's a little post that I thought that was that was an interesting example for me because this client um, skipped a couple of years and then I was surprised to see like, oh, this wasn't quite what we wanted to see. So um, that's that's one post that I wrote. And I think I've got time to talk about a couple of other things. One of these is a post that I wrote where I talked about it actually in the last episode. I, in the last episode, I said it was a difficult one because I was going to try to explain, I was going to try to summarize something that I think I did a poor job of explaining the first time, which was what happens when you actually do use MLSN on a large scale versus when you would use a different method such as the SPF 
uh, surf precision fertilization uh, method to interpret soil tests and make fertilizer applications or use SLAN, the sufficiency level of available nutrients. And I said, you know, I, I think that I showed my work too much in the previous times that I tried to explain it and in, in the initial blog post that I'd done. And I thought, okay, it just makes more sense to show these things as a multiple rather than as a fraction. So I just jumped right to the end. And I, I made this chart that is titled SLAN and SPF recommendations for P, phosphorus, as a multiple of the MLSN recommendation. And on the y-axis, on the vertical axis, it goes now from 0 to 18, which means that um, we can have as much as 18 times difference in the recommendation. And in fact, if we are applying a very low nitrogen rate, that is, if we have a very low growth rate and we don't need to apply very much nitrogen, the SLAN recommendation can be as high as 18 times more than the MLSN phosphorus recommendation. And that is based on treating a whole bunch of sites, a whole bunch of soil. So it's like if we pick a state in the U.S. or pick a county in England and pick a province in Japan. And if we do something like that and we test all of the turf grass sites in that local area we can expect that some of those areas will be low in p some of those areas will be high in soil p and we can use a particular method to make a recommendation for how much fertilizer to apply for each one of those sites so some of those sites have a low soil phosphorus and they get a recommendation some of those areas have a high level of phosphorus in the soil a high soil test phosphorus, and they also get a phosphorus recommendation based on those soil test reports, based on those soil test results. And the three methods that I compared, the MLSN, the SLAN, and the SPF, um, there turns out to be a big difference because across the rates of fertilizer that are typical on a lot of high-maintenance turfgrass sites, Across those rates of nitrogen, which kind of puts an upper limit on the amount that the grass can grow, and consequently, that puts an upper limit on how much phosphorus the grass can use. And by using that method, I can calculate what the difference is between the fertilizer recommendations using these different methods, knowing that each one of these methods is going to supply all of the phosphorus that the grass can use. But a couple of these methods of making fertilizer recommendations, they end up on average across all of these sites with varying soil test phosphorus levels, they end up recommending way, way more. And so in this chart, which also I will put a direct link to this post in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself you can see that the SLAN and the SPF recommendations for phosphorus, they range from about two times to 18 times as much phosphorus gets recommended as fertilizer. Those are just staggering amounts. And in the range of P, uh, 
I mean, in the range of nitrogen fertilizer that kind of limits how much phosphorus the grass can use, or it, it how, how should I say that? Uh, it sort of controls the amount of phosphorus that the grass can use. Basically, we're looking at a range in this chart, we can see it goes from about two to six. So um, the SPF recommendation goes from about two to six times as much. And the SLAN recommendation starts at 18 times as much as MLSN, and then it drops down to about three times as much. And that's at annual nitrogen fertilizer rates, less than four pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet. And that is 20 grams of nitrogen per square meter per year, or 200 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare. So these are interesting calculations and i made that post that i think is worthwhile studying because if you want to manage turf in the most efficient way possible then you want to make sure that the grass is supplied with all the nutrients that it can use but you would hate to be supplying two times three times four times or 18 times as much as the grass could use so i think it it is worthwhile to pay attention to that I'm going to be talking about this a little bit in a couple of upcoming seminars. So I also have blog posts, which uh, I will put links to. One is uh, called Turf Grass on a Spanish Tour, and that is a series of seminars that I am going to be giving in Spain in the middle of November. And there is a seminar on the 8th of November in Madrid, then on the 9th of November in San Roque and on the 10th of November in Mallorca. So that is three consecutive days of seminars that I'm really looking forward to in Spain. And that comes in between a, uh, a week in Portugal prior to that, when I will be speaking at the Portuguese Greenkeepers Congress. And um, then so I will be in Portugal, then I will go to Spain, and then I will go to Denmark, and I will speak with the Danish greenkeepers also. So um, in Spain, I'm going to be talking about management, strategy, management strategies for more sustainable turfgrass surfaces. So basically, I'm going to try to get really site-specific and say, how can we look at the grass that we're growing, look at the climate that we're growing in, look at the type of surface that we're trying to produce, look at the soil that we're growing in, look at all of those things, put them together, and come up with a site-specific plan for managing the grass in the most sustainable way and producing the type of surfaces that we want to produce. So I'm going to be talking about the types of tools and technologies and the strategies of thinking that I would use to try to achieve that. Now, the prior week, I'm going to be giving five short seminars in Portugal. I'm going to put a direct link to all of these. So if you happen to have some free time in November and want to attend any of these, and if you're listening to this prior to the event, I do encourage you to attend. This is going to be really fun because the uh, 
the seminars in Porto, the Portuguese Greenkeepers Conference in Porto, which is a little bit north of Lisbon. These seminars are on November 2 and 3, and I'm going to be talking about pretty much everything, but they're not going to be long seminars. They're going to be short seminars. I'm going to talk about MLSN as a modern approach to turf grass nutrition. I have given so many seminars about MLSN uh, and explained it in so many different ways, and I don't like to explain it the same way twice. I figure if uh, if you want to see something about how I've already tried to explain it, I post those videos on my YouTube channel. <laughs> I've, I just record a screencast of it and you can see, okay, here's this way that it's been explained. And in fact, if, you're, if English is not your native language, you can also get some auto-translate features from those YouTube videos so you can get the gist of how I've explained it in a language that you're more familiar with. So that's a pretty cool feature of the YouTube videos. It takes my voice transcript and it auto-translates it, which is not perfect, but it certainly is enough to get the general idea across. So for anybody that is already familiar with turf grass and is already familiar with greenkeeping, I'm sure that they will be able to understand basically what I was trying to say in those types of videos. So in the seminars in Portugal, one of these will be about MLSN, a modern approach to turf grass nutrition. And I will speak about this in a new way somehow. And then I'm also going to give a seminar called Growth Rate is Connected to Everything. And this is going to explain both the importance of growth rate and explain how I can use Clipfall and you can use Clipfall, clipping volume, to really easily measure exactly how much the grass is growing and then adjust it. I'm going to talk about how much sand top dressing is necessary, which I think is a quite important question. And it turns out that if you measure the clipping volume, which is the above ground growth, and if you measure the total organic matter, what I call OM246 testing, if you measure the clipping volume, that is the above ground growth. If you measure the OM246, that is the below ground growth. So now we know how much organic material is produced above ground. We know how much organic material is produced below ground, and it makes it really use well it's it's easy if you've done it before uh, <laughs> i i know how to work through these calculations so it's pretty easy for me i i guess maybe if you're doing it for the first time it might be a little bit of a maze but eventually you figure it out and you can see that you can adjust the sand top dressing based on how the organic matter is changing based on the above ground growth rate and the below ground growth rate. And then I'm also going to talk about playing conditions around the world, how that's affected by some of these things. And I'm going to talk about the most sustainable grass for a location, which looks at all the inputs that are required in order to, to produce a surface. So that is something that um, I am really looking forward to next month um, and winding that up after after Portugal, then I go to Spain. After Spain, I then go to Denmark and speak with the Danish 
screen keepers and um, we're, we are going to talk about some of the same topics up there, but I'm going to present it differently because it's different grasses. And I imagine that I am going to end up having, um, a whole bunch of new seminars that I can record screencasts of. So that's kind of fun for me just to try to explain things as clearly as possible again and again. And I know a lot of these ideas, eventually they kind of catch on and people can enjoy some of those things. So, um, I, you know, one of the surprising things, uh, and some of the people listening to this, uh, I'm sure are going to recognize that I'm kind of quoting you back, uh, because you've told me that these types of techniques of greenkeeping, the, the things like MLSN and clipping volume and OM246 and this type of grammar of greenkeeping approach uh, of thinking about how the grass can be managed and applying a little bit of science and a little bit of art and being able to check the results of the work. I think it, it's really nice to be able to check the results of the work. What you've told me is that it is actually made your job more enjoyable and that you think that greenkeeping is more fun because of this. And I agree. I think it is fun to do the work and then to check what the results are. Just like when I was a golf course superintendent, uh, when people would ask me, or if they do ask me now, what I miss from being a golf course superintendent, it is I miss being able to go to the course at the end of the day or be at the end of a work day and see the course looking good and knowing that it's because of all of the hard work that myself and the greenkeeping staff did and we have accomplished something. We have accomplished a result of having the golf course in an excellent condition and it looks good and one gets a tremendous feeling of satisfaction and a tremendous feeling of accomplishment from that because it is a huge amount of work to pull it off and we don't always succeed every day we're always trying to succeed and do the work as best we can but you know sometimes mother nature doesn't allow that or budgets don't allow that or broken irrigation or broken machines or staff that couldn't make it or whatever they interfere with that but when we do achieve it it is quite a feeling of satisfaction and i hope that um i share that sentiment with many people who have done this job and i think that somehow on a short-term time scale these types of metrics like mlsn like OM246, like clipping volume, like some of the playability measurements that I've written about on the blog, they give a chance for some of that instant feedback that perhaps is not quite as satisfactory and it should not be. It should not be quite as as it should not be as satisfactory as that feeling that one gets at the end of the day when the course is looking great and one feels that we've really accomplished something. But one can feel that 
we are checking the results of the work and we are accomplishing things if we're checking the clipping volume, checking the soil moisture content, checking the change in nutrient levels over time, checking the metrics, the OM246 and so on. I think it can make things a little bit fun. It, it, it can add a level of satisfaction because there are more things to check that are more under one's control and a little bit less uh, dependent on the weather, uh, hopefully less dependent on machinery, less dependent on staff showing up and, and so on. So that's a, a little bit of a philosophical meander. I want to point out one more thing that I am so excited about. Now, if you are a, a uh, how would we say it, a regular user of the search function on the ATC website, and I'll admit that I am because I've written so much stuff on the website that rather than remember what it is or try to find it, it it's hard to find when you're searching through almost a thousand items on the website. So I use the search feature and there was an update to Wowcomy, which is the platform that I use um, to run my website. So I had been using a search feature, um, a, a search software that was really fast. And I think it was in May, I did an update to the website and I broke that search feature and I couldn't figure out how to fix it. So I have been suffering in June and July and August and September and the first part of October, trying to find content on the website because I, I might want to say I'm searching for zoysia and green speed, or I might be searching for Bermuda grass and water use, or I might be searching for bank grass and sand top dressing. You know, I've written multiple posts about so many different things. And I, if I type in a few keywords, I would like to find that. But the built-in search was very slow. So if I would do this on my phone, it might take 10 seconds or 15 seconds for the search results to come up. And if I did this on my computer and did the search, the uh, sometimes the, brow the, the browser would give me a warning message and say, AsianTurfGrass.com is slowing down your browser. Would you like to close? And eventually the search results would come back. You may have noticed this yourself if you have used the search feature on the website. And this was something that was really bugging me over the last few months. And if this works now in the uh, trial, I will go to the top right corner of the, the website and I can click on the magnifying glass, which is the common search uh, indicator. And now not only uh, is that search working again, the fast search, which is run by a service called Algolia, which I find um, just amazing in how fast it is. But um, I also added in some common searches so you can get instant results. I added in common searches for things like soil testing, carbon-based fertilizer, MLSN, ATC podcasts, and shiny app calculators, uh, bobble tests, different things that you might be looking for. So now I've got the search window and I will start typing and I will start talking about the results as soon as they uh, appear. So I'm going to type an 
I'm I'm going to start typing Frank Rossi, okay? And I will type F R A, and we'll see if what the results start coming in. F R A, wow! So it's instantly now all of a sudden I get a bunch of hits just by typing F R A. We've got the Talking Greenkeeper season five episode one, the least enjoyable experiment ever, fertilizer and weeds at park grass, MLSN and turf grass nutrient recommendations calcium deficiency in turf grass and imaginary problem, all kinds of posts with Frank Rossi and that they popped up almost instantly. Um, when I, when I type that now, if I type an NK and a space and an RSSI, uh, it doesn't really change so much because when I type, uh, there aren't a lot of other Franks or, or FRA words that I write about on the website yet. So uh, at this point, pretty much uh, that didn't change so much when I type out the full name, but it's really, really fast. And I, I find this really useful if you want to search something else like, um, oh, I, I don't need to demonstrate it. It's not, it's not gonna be of interest to everybody, but it's, it's definitely of interest to me. So um, if, if you want to access any of this information on the ATC website, I've recommended before to please use the search feature because I think that the search feature on the website is really powerful and really useful. And it usually, it used to work really fast and now it's back working really fast again. And I'm so excited about that. So you can find that at asianturfgrass.com and you can search for any turf grass topic. And I, um, I encourage you to take advantage of that now. And, and uh, hopefully you will find some information that helps you to understand more about turf grass and helps make your job a little bit more fun and maybe helps uh, make your job a little bit easier. So that is what I wanted to share in this episode of the ATC Double Cut. I hopefully will be back again soon with uh, another episode with a guest. We may be talking about some seasonal issues. I, uh, I'm i back home now. I realize uh, I've been traveling almost constantly since, uh, since August and I'm now going to be home for a couple of days and then I'll be traveling again. I just mentioned some of those seminars that are coming up on another continent. So it's so fun for me to have a chance to study turfgrass around the world, get a chance to meet turfgrass managers from all around the world. And when I go visit those turfgrass managers, they are often so kind that they show me the turfgrass and we get to talk about turfgrass issues uh, that are current in those different parts of the world. So that is something that's quite fascinating with me and I'm thrilled that I get a chance to constantly learn about it and I really enjoy writing about it, talking about it and discussing it and sharing it with you. So uh, hopefully one of those topics will be coming up again soon in a uh, soon to be recorded ATC double cut. In the meantime, I won't take any more of your time. I will thank you for listening and I will sign off for ATC from Yantikau, Thailand. I am Michael Woods.